Here we go, here we go. By the way, we are suing Budweiser because I did copyright the Here We Go logo and now that it's their new Bud Light thing, the Here We Go thing. So, I mean, the new sanctuary should be paid for in a matter of minutes, so it's not gonna be any problem at all. Um, CareNet Pregnancy Centers, they do their clever little thing where they give you a bottle, they tell you to put your change in it, bring it back. Those are upstairs. Um, they were up at that door. I think they're probably in the back as well. So here you go, if you got an extra. Now you, young lady, if you have a little extra. Yeah, you know what, that's what sinners always say. Have you got any money? My kids took it all. Let's just go around and all say excuses why we can't give anything to CareNet, okay? Go out to the van, go out to the van and look under the seats, okay? Because there's probably 50 bucks there. <laughs> Holy cow. What are you going to do, you know? The truth comes out. Uh, okay, um, let's see. Okay, so sign your name, put some money in the bag. CareNet, um, thanks for, thanks for uh, again, another big day next door. Uh, I still ask if you can come out on Monday and Wednesday nights at 6, Saturdays at 8.30. Come have some fun. This actually be, should be a good week. Uh, if everything works and, uh, you know, somebody said, you know, that, that I, somebody said to me, I said, you know, I was... I've been kind of stressing over the date a little bit. And then somebody said to me, have you, seen, have you seen the movie Naked Gun where the guy says, he said, how do you spend all your time burning down villages, killing people? You know, and the guy said, I used to be a contractor. So, I mean, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. Uh, you know, still, I'm still have, I still have prayers for Easter, but don't, you know, hold me. I, I did say in the, in the sermon, I didn't say Easter, actually. I, I consulted my lawyers and they only said April, but even who knows, you know, so... But anyway, this should be, what's that? Pentecost is, real honestly, Pentecost is too far because by June we're going to lose a lot of our families. This is as late as you can get, save one day for Easter. Pentecost is the 12th of June, believe me, Carol, I have looked at that. <laughs> but uh, what I'm nervous about is, is people scatter to the four winds as soon as school is out. So um, we have some other... Uh, should is the word I've given up ever since I've been a pastor. There should be lots of reasons for people to do a lot of things, but... It just doesn't, or might. Actually, if they just see the way you could paint a door frame, they would all stay around. So this should be a fun week next door, because if all goes well, um, the, the guys who are taping and mudding should be out. There should be a big cleanup and maybe even paint on the walls by the end of the week. So it's actually going to get kind of cool. Plus, you know, Jim Butcher was there with that big thing that could saw cars in half. <laughs> cutting a hole in the floor, and then you were there moving his stuff around. It was fantastic, and Pat was making special kind of cheeseburger, hamburger things. Oh, it couldn't have been better. So if you can come out and play, um, there's still stuff for you to do. But it should be, it'll start to look like something. So let's pray, and then we'll go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. All right, so you had a little homework. Um, if you want to think about this in a different way, I, I started you by saying this is the way the pastors see the world. But, and that's good for you to know how we see the world because maybe things that we do or don't do will make a little more sense to you. But also, um, you need, I think in your own head, if you're going to church the world, and that's one of the tasks that's going to be, you need to have kind of a template you know, 50 words or less. You have to have to, one sheet of paper. You need to be able to draw out what the world looks like because when you bump into people, one of the things that can inhibit your witness is get being surprised. And so what you, what you want to do is um, not be surprised. I will say, you know, over the years I've been a pastor, I've been surprised a lot. And I've often said to you, 
you know, one of the things that I was most surprised about is I way underestimated the power of evil coming out of the seminary and being a new pastor. And I, you know, you, co- you combine that with being a bit idealistic rather than realistic. And I can say, you know, so over the years, wiser, older people have been so helpful to me in terms of, you know, Kleine's great line, um, Satan is an idealist, Jesus is a realist, you know. That's a, I mean, that's a brilliant bit of, you know, brilliant bit of line. But you need to have sort of a grid in your head. You need to have a template. You need to have a map that'll help you locate the people that you know and the people that you bump into. If you're as surprised as they are, you know, um, you know, if the surgeon, you know, opens you up and then faints because he sees blood, he's just not that helpful to you, right? I mean, that's just not such a good, that's just not such a good, and in the same way, you know, our demographic is ick. You know, you know that. I mean, we, we talk about it as sin, but we talk about sin so much we hardly even realize what that means. We're really icky, you know, but this is, here's a really good reason to be here. We recognize that we're icky. We even see the ick in each other, but we're trying to get rid of the ick and move on. Well, so if ick is our demographic and then people come in and they're icky, if you're kind of like this, and I don't want to touch them, you, you become just like the Pharisees, whom Jesus said, you know, that's not very helpful for people. If you only want to hang out with people who look just like you and keep you really comfortable, that's not so helpful. What's helpful is if you can help people who are kind of been overcome by the ick. And that's, you, can, you need to have a way in your head to do that. Now, um, I didn't give you a ton of biblical references last week, but it's, it's fairly easy to do so. So let me start one step back than where I started last, last week. So if I said to you, and God help us, I hope you'll be able to repeat this back. If I said to you, what's the one thing we're aiming at? If you had to put it in 10 words or less, what, what are we trying to do here? Help. That's beautiful. Okay, so my life has basically been wasted the last 14 years. Thank you very much. Try not to be shy. So it's all about make disciples, that's baptizing, and make them stronger. Make them stronger. That's teaching, right? So that's, that's all you're trying to do. That's the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28. Jesus said make disciples by baptizing and teaching and you do the baptizing, that gives people a start, and then the teaching just goes on forever and ever. That's, that's all you. Now, um, last week we talked about, um, if you have to sum up in a word, when you bump, up, bump into people who are icky, how would you describe them? Besides ick, how would you describe them? What was the first word that was up? Do you remember? Uh, no, we're already, you're already down the grid a bit, but if you hold that, that'll be the right answer in 12 seconds. Chaos, yes, okay, so chaos. Now you remember, and you can use, chaos is a great word to describe how people go wrong because it's a word that's used of the demons in the, in the scriptures. Um, so the Lord makes everything in Eden, and Eden is fantastic, and the first thing the Lord does is give order in Eden, and that's Genesis 1. And then by Genesis 3, uh, you know, things have just gone to chaos. And... Um, it's a great sadness. Everything's broken. And you can just kind of imagine, you know, we, we sort of have this image, and if you've had Sunday school materials, there's always this image of this, this grand confrontation and God's in light and they're in darkness. And they're all, but I wonder if it wasn't much more like such a grave disappointment. I mean, Adam must have been so disappointed in himself and God disappointed too and what they were meant for and everything was broken. It's the vicar's sermon this morning. And that chaos then, it's all right, man. Completely fine. In fact, there's more fun on the other side of that thing. If you want to pull back and go over there, believe me, that's going to be better, whatever they're banging in there. In fact, Butcher saw is back there, and he said, you'll see him going in just a second. 
And chaos can show itself. And so, so you know, what are the ways chaos can show us? This was the long list. And this is how people will present. You know, if you go to the doctor or you go to a psychiatrist, they'll say, um, you have some presenting symptoms or some presenting problems they'll talk about. So what are the symptoms of chaos or, or what's demonic in people's lives? What are the symptoms of it? We went through a, a bunch of these last week. We probably listed 20. What are they? Anger. Why are you so angry? Good. What else? Selfishness is good. What else? Broken relationships are great. That's the things are just disjointed. That's a great way to talk. You get and that's the vicar sermon. You get disjointed from the Lord, from your community, from your family. People just feel uneasy. You know, if you just if when people, what what else? You get some more. I mean, this is so easy. Just people you bump into. People who are lonely, fantastic. People who are always complaining, right? You know, people don't actually want to complain. They're just, they just, that's just a symptom of some really deep pain. Or people who work in darkness. People who do everything in the dark, who are one person in the light and another person in the dark. Anger is good. People who can't accept authority. Do you roll through that stop sign in Arrowhead when the police aren't there? Because here's the thing, you should know the police are often there. <laughs> Those poor kids go into high school. They meet the sheriff on a first-name basis. All right, so what happens is that, that's, that's sort of where the ick comes in. You meet people. And, and so what you should know is, and, and here's the thing. This keeps you from being a pietist. That's why we start every service with a confession. The very first thing we do as soon as we remind ourselves we've been baptized, we basically say, I'm icky. Okay? That's what we say. So you shouldn't be surprised that people you bump into have stuff going wrong. You shouldn't be surprised by that, right? Because we all say it about ourselves. We know, I'm icky, I'm sinful, by nature, sinful and unclean. Thought, word, and deed, all the different ways we say it. it happens, so, so don't act as if, when you bump into people like this, they're so different from you. You know, they're rotten, you're rotten. The difference is you've been someplace where um, you can be cured. So this normally manifests itself as people being alone and unloved. And how did you do this week? Did you, your assignment was to um, see if that fit for anybody. Did you bump into people? Did it work? When people complained to you, did, you, did you see it? I mean, it's just a way to organize your thoughts. All the stuff I'm saying to you, I'm not saying it works in every last case, but there are some things that work so well, it's actually stunning. You can be sick and you can feel alone. You can be sick and you can feel unloved. You can have, you know, you can break up your, with your boyfriend, you can feel this way. You can have a row with your parents, you can lose your job. You can uh, say things you wish you wouldn't have said. You can do things you wish you wouldn't have done. Every week, you know, I'm sure at the Lord's Supper, when I look at people, you should see the view from where I see the view. Because part of what I see is, I see in people, I see some people who are greatly relieved. I can see in people's faces, I can't believe I did that this week. You know, I can't believe I did that again. You can see in people's faces, people are crushed by somebody who's died, who's near to them. You look around. I mean, one of the advantages of a round around, you can just look up, I'll just someday, maybe not right now, you just look up at the faces of the 13 people across from you, just take a good look at them, because you'll see every range, and the people who are greatly troubled, I can tell you, it's because they feel in some sense alone and unloved, okay, still okay? So this is what you're going to bump into, there was Eden, then there wasn't Eden, the result of Eden, you have all kinds of symptoms, the symptoms can be kind of um, summed up as, as uh, being alone and unloved. You're still good? So just kind of hold this template in your head. Actually, by next week, um, next week's we're going to play pin the tail on the donkey, so be back for that. All right? Now, um, we actually are going to do that. <laughs>
So I'm, I'm not kidding you. Uh, Eden, chaos, alone and unloved. Then I moved you, and I gave you just a short, and it may have been a discomforting little, little speech about the change from the modern world to the postmodern world. One of the hard things, especially, and it's kind of surprising because Lutherans hated the modern world, and now they're very uncomfortable with the postmodern world too, and you're thinking, just pick one, okay, because they happen to happen without you. But here was the deal with the modern world. Basically, the modern world, and if you want to think about it, it was going strong by the French Revolution, so by late 1800s, or late, late 1700s, you know. This is basically what the modern world said. The modern world said, all these problems I've got, these are actually my problems. These aren't God's problems. These are, these are my problems, and I'm going to fix my problems all by myself. And so, you know, basically the promises that the modern world made was we'd become more moral. As we became smarter, we'd become better. We'd probably be able to push back nature and control our destiny a little bit more. We'd be able to think ourselves out of problems. We'd become more tolerant. Okay, so now think about the 20th century. More genocide in the 20th century than any other century. More innocent people killed in the 20th century, and faster. Because if you have nuclear weapons, guess what? You can blow people up at a rate that is almost incalculable, right? How are we doing? So in the last year, it's been Haiti, it's been Japan, it's been Indonesia. You tell me, how are we doing? How about, how about, how about safety? How are, you doing, how are you doing when you go to the airport? Hey, they just waving you through saying, don't worry, keep your shoes on, because who would blow up a plane with a shoe? Basically, what happened is the modern world didn't keep its promises, and anybody under about the age of 30, or anybody who thinks like anybody under the age of 30, basically said, you've been lying to me for 300 years, and the world doesn't work. That's basically, if you talk to them, that's what they'll say. They'll basically say, you had this 300-year-long experiment, and it didn't work. You, you basically have lied to me. It didn't work. We're not more moral. We kill each other at a faster rate. Science didn't really work out because we're smarter, we better. No, that didn't really work. We're not more ethical. We don't feel any better. I mean, you look around at people. They feel like all the people you bumped into all week. So anyway, now we're in this postmodern world. I'm not making an argument that it's better, necessarily, although it's better in this case. Um, rather than the modern world, where I was the center of the universe, only my thoughts matter, that morphed down till I have my perceptions, and if only my perceptions work, then you have your perceptions, you have yours, I have mine, you have yours, guess what, we're all silos, we can't talk to anybody, and then you hear people say stuff like, you could never understand what I'm going through, or you couldn't possibly understand how victimized I've been. And so, I mean, here's the thing, when I was, and this is, I gave you the academic example, but it's true, if you were a woman, person of color who was a lesbian and been abused as a child and was from a third world country, that's top of the shelf because you've been victimized more than anybody else. So what happens then is everybody plays up their ick and ick becomes a virtue, right? And that's the world that we're coming out of. And so my perceptions, everybody talks about my perceptions, my reality, you can never know. Here's the thing, I've lost a brother, some of you have lost children. I don't know exactly what you've gone through, but I've watched my parents go through it, and I can talk to you about some of what happens when that happens. You know, it's not exactly the same, but there are things that are touch points. 
So what happened in the modern world is everybody became an individual, and I was the only thing that mattered, and God had nothing to do with anything, and your experience is different than mine, and this is who the winners are. You know who the winners are? The winners are the people who can kill the other people. That's the end of the modern world. And you can kill them by reputation, you can kill them by lies, you can kill them with bombs, you can kill them with darkness, but basically what you do is you say, I'm the only one that's important, my perceptions are all that matter, I don't care about community, it's a basic will to power. So it's, it's pure Nietzsche, the Ubermensch, or, or as Sartre said, hell is other people, which I've been tempted to run as a Margie comment, but didn't know how you'd take it. <laughs> okay? But that is the end of the modern world, that hell is other people. Opposite that is the scriptures, where actually heaven is other people. In fact, heaven is all the other people. God so loved the world, so God wants all his children home again. And what's interesting with postmoderns is, while they still have you know, all sorts of troubles, one of the things that's interesting about them is they're open to things that have biblical resonance. Mir- miracle. Now, it's Abby, if you talk to Abby Gaining sometime about when she, you know, her experience, I probably, is Abby here? Good, I'm going to talk about her. Uh, first I was going to say I wasn't going to talk about her, but then I am going to talk about her. Um, you know, she was at Christ College at Valpo, and she, she, she would just say, you know, when we were students, we kind of made fun of our professors. Our professors were all moderns. They didn't believe in the miracles. They would explain them away. You know, so Jesus didn't really feed the 5,000. Everybody just saw how generous Jesus was. They just got out their sack lunches and shared them, right? Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, Boltman. He just rose from the dead in the imagination of the disciples. The hair, skin, and bones were still in the tomb. He rose from the dead in their imagination, and that actually mattered to them. It was a very good story and very powerful and helped them out, you see? She's, you can talk to her about it. She said, when we were there, we all just kind of, we just kind of felt sorry for our professors. They were, they're the last gasp of modernism, and they couldn't believe that there was any room for miracle. Couldn't believe there was any room for mystery. Couldn't believe there was any room for God's intervention in the world. Now, if you talk then to postmoderns, what's very interesting about them is, and I, this is stolen from N.T. Wright, so this is not mine. This is, and it's not perfect. People argue about it. But it's, again, one of those things that's big enough that actually makes a difference. So we talked about kind of four points of interest for postmoderns. You remember what they were? Community is one. So that's the anti-modern individualist perception. I'm the only one going on. Okay. Now suddenly it matters. It's not good to be alone and unloved. The vicar sermon this morning, it wasn't good for man to be alone. That's right. Why? Because he's created in the image of God. The image of God is communal. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bound together as a community in love. That's put into all of you. By nature, you need community. You want community. If you don't have community, you'll always be, be unfulfilled. That's how we were created. We were, we were, we were made to be in community um, with God, and most of us were made, unless you have the gift that Paul talks about, most of us were made to be in community as husband and wife. And, you know, just to push it farther, part of the community of the church is you're the philios of having friendship with each other. We're just made for that. So community is one. What else? Spirituality, which then we sort of, you know, we, we, you might wince at this at first because spirituality can be, you know, going to see the guru merge with the universe. I get that. I've been there. I've seen it. It wasn't that great. So, um, but, but we would I, would, I would sort of, I would sort of push you down to Christology or incarnationality or sacramentality. So community, spirituality, what else? Justice. 
Now, um, justice, I mean, I don't, you know, simultaneous uh, marches for justice across ten cities that drew out a million people all around the globe yesterday. Did you march? You know, because that's what's cooking. People want justice. We spend a lot of time talking about the flip side of that, which is mercy, and it's very easy to push people to the mercy side if they have an interest in justice. Because basically, mercy makes things new, makes things right. And the last one is beauty, which is all about why next door can't just be a big room. There's no point in having a big room. Nobody's interested in a big room. That was so 70s. The big room was the 70s idea. Put up a pole barn, jam as many people in as you want. No, actually, that's not what people are interested in anymore. That was the end of the modern era. So now people, once again, are interested in things that there's an understanding that beauty gives is a window to the divine. Okay, that the Lord created wonderful things in Eden and that that's in us. We have this echo or this memory of Eden and we like it back. We even talk about that morally as Lutherans when we talk about conscience being written on our heart. It's a beautiful thing when people tell the truth, when they love each other, when they're faithful, right? When they're happy with what they've got. Those things, that's a beautiful way to live. The good thing about the church is, this is what we do in spades. This is why the postmodern world is good for us. This was the modern world where everybody's on their own. That wasn't good for us. There's no miracle, there's no mystery, and you're all on your own. That's not good for us. That's not the church. This is at least some things that the church have interest in, that there actually can be a God. The modern world said there was no God. That's the, that's what, if you're over you know, 40 especially if you're 50 or 60 or 70, you fought through that, case in point, the split of the Missouri Senate. It was over that. It was over, it was over historical criticism, which is basically a modern invention on how to read a text that said, basically, God's not there. Whether you knew it or not, that's what was going on. This is what happens in the Eucharist. This is what happens in the liturgy. This is what happens when you go out in the world and you're consoled by this constantly. So the postmodern world opens up the possibility. So when you bump into people who are all chaotic and they simply say to you, I just wish I had a friend. Or, I'd just like to sit down someplace quiet. Right? Or, I'd love to be accepted for what I am. Right? Or, I don't know why my relationship with my husband, child, mother, father, mother-in-law, father-in-law has to be this way, okay? They're basically telling you, I'm here and I want to be here. Make sense? So all you need to do is kind of carry this around your head, not as some infallible rule that you beat people down with. It's a way that you can say to people, yeah, that makes some sense. I, I kind of understand that. Kind of make, that kind of makes some sense. I mean, you don't understand exactly what they've been through, but you're a human being, they're a human being, you're ick, they're ick. But you have been redeemed ick, and they're still on the way to being redeemed ick, so you basically have a chance to tell them about the little baby Jesus, and these are your points of entry. You need a friend? I, gotta, I actually know some people who are very nice. You should meet them, right? Friday morning women's Bible study. Talk about a hoot. We're all getting tattoos next week. It's going to be great. You could say, I know somebody who loves you in spite of yourself. You know, in sp I know somebody who loves you regardless of what you've done. 
when some people are troubled by some really tough things. Or justice. Heck yes, we're all about justice. But you'll want to be careful here because, um, you know, if everybody gets total justice, then we're all dead. Or beautiful things. You can say to people, you should come and see my new church. It is actually very beautiful, you all who have been doing it. It is really quite something. So you have a natural entree. It's not about, the modern way was, if you died tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? People are going like, I don't think I'm dying. I'm not sure there's a God. Heaven, what's heaven? And how the world, I mean, that was the modern way. Knock on somebody's door, gets right up in their face and try to talk them into it. That's not how the world works. If you try that, people have zero interest in you. But people who say to you, man, my life is just uneven. I just wish it would calm down. It's very easy to say, yeah, we know that story. That's chaos. But actually, we know how to get oil on the water. Just by the by, this is why sacraments are so important. Because you can talk to people all day long, but after the modern world, talk is cheap. It didn't work out. If you break a promise, talk is cheap. But now, if you put water on people, wash them up, they remember that. And more than that, if you tell them you didn't do it, if I say to you, who baptized you, the answer is Jesus. Yeah. And who gave you the Eucharist this morning, the answer is? Yeah. See, it's not, if you're dependent on me to go to heaven, God help you. Okay? (laughs) But if you say, who forgave my sins this morning and made all things new, right, honorable, Jesus, right? Yes, David? It is the first heresy. Right. So that's back to what we did. So there's Christ, and then he does this thing called the office of the ministry, and then he takes people and he puts them into the office. But the other side is the Old Testament reading for today. Did you catch in the Old Testament reading where where Moses said, why do you complain against the Lord and me? Which is basically him saying, this isn't my idea, but this is what I was given to do. So when you complain against me, you complain against the Lord. So you have to hold those two things in tension. Because this is, someday we're going to go back to the power and authority. In fact, I need to talk to you about Mrs. Zeller's drapes one of these days. But that'll be a couple of weeks from now, okay? But that'll be in the power and authority talk that is to come, which will kind of, kind of be against us. All right? Still okay? So you kind of have to carry this around in your head. If you do that, your world is going to make sense. It'll just, it'll just make sense, and you'll be able to talk to people in a very easy way. Now, uh, now I'm out of board. Okay, so... If I was going to say, so, uh, yeah, so, and then I sort of gave you a couple of different ways to talk about this, which is this is fear, and this is desire, and then this is sort of, if you trace Western philosophy from sort of Plato all the way through, they sort of talk about these are the things that motivate people. One of my great, um, one of my, one of my great uh, mistakes as a person and a pastor, is to overrate rationality. Um, well, it's not, it, goes, it goes along on my stunner, my top ten stunner list when I get to go to David Letterman and have my top ten stunning things as a pastor. One of them is, is how irrational people are. People think they're rational. Man, and the other thing, that I, and not only just that, but how little rationality matters. Which is, but I should have, been, I should have paid attention to philosophy class because actually ever since Plato, people have basically been saying, yeah, people are rational, but hardly ever does rationality overcome emotion. Emotion is a much bigger driver for people. We just can't control ourselves. In fact, this is the whole history of Western philosophy can be 
told as try, people trying to control their, their emotions, their desires. It just, it just doesn't happen. You know, it rarely happens. But what you can do to shake people out of it is to give them hope. That's usually the other side. Because that's what people who are alone and loved love want. They want hope, okay? So now again, um, you should be able to do this. You know, you should be able to do this in your sleep. If you bump into such a person who is chaotic, lonely, and unloved, but you know that um, this is probably what they care about. And I just, just want to say one other thing. So I know I'm pushing in a lot of things, but you've got to be careful. Uh, uh, yeah. Hmm. Sometimes things go too fast to nuance. I sort of have given you these broad strokes. By the French Revolution, modernism has happened. By the 50s, postmodernism is starting up. If you're under 30, you think this way. If you're over 30, you think, here's the thing. Give me a little nuance. I think myself, and maybe you do too, I think much more like a postmodern than a modern. And Lutherans who believe in the scriptures, you know, Bible believer types normally do as well. Here's the reason why. Because good Lutherans were never moderns. We sort of skipped. We sort of stopped with Luther. Guess what? After 500 years, we get to get back on the train. This is actually true. So what happens is Luthers were kind of pre-moderns, and they never shook out of it. That's to believe that the text is the inspired word of God. That's a pre-modern idea that died in about 1730. But guess what? Lutherans just carried on like, hey, modernism never happened. So guess what? You're back in style, you hipsters. Isn't that great? But, uh, you know, I just want you to, so, so it's not always about age. I'm just sort of giving you these broad things. You can have people who are 80 who think like a postmodern. You can, so it's a, it's a thinking way, but one of the things, again, kind of broad strokes, if you can't understand your grandkids, it's because they think like this and you think like this. Just try it, you know, just try it. Okay, still good? So now if I said to you, um, you bump onto, let's say you bump into one of these people this week and, like, all your things are firing, all the synopses are going, you're like, yeah, yeah, lonely complaint goes to a lonely and unloved possibility for spiritual and beauty. What should I do? What should I do? See? So this is what's happening now to you, right? So what would be your answer? What, what do you do? What's the next thing that we do to people? What do we do to people if we just want to do something to them? What do you do? Go ahead. Give me, so this is, this is from down here, okay? This is, we're going to pick this up up here. What do you do to people? What are we doing? You do love them, but now, um, here's the thing. You can't just, you know, you can't just, I mean, Jack, you're not Jack, Jack's over there. I mean, here, here's the thing. If you just, I mean, let's say you bump into, you know, some young, beautiful, icky young woman. You can't just be throwing your arms around her this week and giving her a big kiss and telling her how much you love her because, okay, so uh, we're going to have to think of a plan B, okay, because it could be misunderstood. It could be misunderstood. It could be misunderstood. It might be misunderstood. It would, it would be, okay, the, uh, a modern, it would be misunderstood, okay, that's good, <laughs> perfect, okay, so Jack, let's think of an alternative way, uh, so, say you bump into somebody like this, you know, a 25-year-old who is a little bit discombobulated, slightly chaotic, showing symptoms of alone and unloved, and yet you know that there might be some possibility for all this, what, what's, your, what's your answer? Good, and where are they going to meet them? Thank you very much. Refine your church type, because church is a dangerous proposition these days, you know. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat around wheat without hitting the church, and yet, they, don't all, they aren't all the same. So refine your, refine your diagnoses, doctor. Where, where are we going to put them? Thank you very much. You're going to dump them into the? You're going to dump them into the liturgy. Right. Now, we do? 
wow, I'm going to have you open my mail this week. That's great. <laughs> By the way, you who still have mailboxes upstairs, um, there's still mail for you upstairs. Even though we've moved next door, make sure you check your mailboxes upstairs, please. These are the sort of things we should be talking about at home. <laughs> By the way, your visit, that's my wife, just so you know. Okay, so be nice to her. She's come back two weeks in a row, and the rest of you should be nice to her, too. Talk about somebody who's taking a risk. Holy cow. Okay, good. Now, um, yes, to just say, now, okay, good. So let's take that point. If you say, just say to somebody, you should come to the liturgy. Um, I'd love for somebody under 35 to answer me. If somebody said to you, uh, you know, just see, you're all kind of ruined because you're around a church and this is, a, this is the wrong group to ask, but if you can imagine an unchurched 35-year-old and you said to him, you should come to the liturgy, what sort of response does liturgy raise for people and why use that word rather than another word? Yes, please. Thank you. So it's ancient, and if something is old, then it is right, good, keep going, and if it's, it's right because, and if it's right, then it's what? How do they think? True, good. You see, thus, I know many moderns right now, you'd like to be washing your mouth out with soap. True, there hasn't been any tr anything true in 400 years, you see. But you see how children talk? It's the TV they watch. Okay, so it's ancient, it's right, it's true. What else? Anybody, any, got any other ones? Sorry? It is beautiful. We got that down here, so I'm going to... And, and here's the thing. If pe Yes! Who said that? Brilliantly done. Yes, it's mysterious. Jack, the only reason I didn't put beauty is because I'm just filling out what beauty looks like for people. It's mystery. And also, here's another one. You know what else? How they talk? It's reliable. Or you always, it's almost become a postmodern catchword. It's almost like you don't want to say it anymore. It becomes authentic, right? So here's the thing. How you hear liturgy at 37 is different than people, my little help there. Yeah, thanks very much for the help there, Ann. Just trying to, how you hear liturgy at 37 is very different than you hear it at uh, 12. Wherever are you? <laughs> Yeah, because we've because if you're a modern, what was the last gasp of modernism in the church? Get rid of the liturgy, complain about it, because what do I want? I want to be entertained, I don't want to work very hard, I want it to be all about me, and by the way, let's not hang a cross up, because that might offend the modern, for crying out loud. We'd hate to do offend anybody, even though Paul writes a whole chapter on that in 1 Corinthians. We, who didn't know? Who's the we that didn't know? No, we didn't have these resources, you're right, right. Good. Right. Actually, the reason the liturgy died is not because the liturgy was bad. It's because the people doing the liturgy were bad. They didn't know why they were doing it. They had, they had no idea. They just did it because it was in the book. Quickly, and then we'll go to next week, at the heart of the liturgy is Christ, right? But long ago, far away, a zillion years ago, right after I said in my first sermon, make disciples and make, us strong, make them stronger, is what we'll aim at, I sort of said to you, and if you're a Christian, you'll look like this. Anybody remember that? What does it look like? Seven things. Christ first. So Christ is first, right? And then what else? Scripture, good. So Christ talks to you. Prayer. Christ listens to you. What else? Good. Uh, the liturgy. So I'd probably pull that down there. Christ, Scripture, prayer, the divine service. And then the important bits. What? Mercy. Yes, generosity, and a big witness. There, see, here's the thing. You actually do know this. So, and then a big witness. This is where I'm going to go next week then. 
So basically, if you're a Christian, I mean, I'll just say it to you, if you're a Christian, you just do this. You know, you're better and worse at it, but you can't really imagine a Christian who never prays, can you? I mean, if you never pray, I mean, honestly, you're probably not a Christian. You can't imagine a Christian who's a miser. If you're never generous, I'm just telling you, if you're never generous, read James. We did James. This is the reason we did James. If you never are generous to other people, you're probably not a Christian. If you're never engaged in mercy, you know, if you can't find your way to put something in for Christmas sharing or bring some food on Thanksgiving, I mean, if you never do anything. I'm not saying you've got to do everything, but I'm saying if you never do anything, you're probably not a Christian. This is what the Christian life is, and this is the reason there's nothing more... I watched Anthony Bourdain in Nicaragua yesterday. That's what I do with my spare time. Did you watch Anthony Bourdain in Nicaragua yesterday? Bummed me out the whole day, because he went to the dump. Literally, they dump the food and garbage out on the ground as it's coming out of the truck. You have little kids, seven, eight, nine years old with rakes, pulling through it and eating what they can find. There are millions of people who live in the dump, and they sort food, bottles, glass, copper, but they stop to eat as they're pushing away the dogs, and you're just thinking, you know, where, you know. So you just say to yourself, there's something beautiful about feeding starving children. There's something beautiful about that. It's beautiful, it's generous, it's merciful, it matters. So the whole point is to have a life that matters. And guess what? We should have put that there too, because what people are looking for is meaning outside themselves. They often talk about it as something bigger than themselves. Moderns were only interested in themselves. Their world, why couldn't, do any, why couldn't God do any miracles? Because they were this big, and that's as big as the world was. Guess what? God is this big, and he's doing stuff way out here. And if your world is only this big, of course there's no resurrection. Of course there's no miracles. Because you can't do a miracle, therefore there's no miracles. Because that's your perception, that's your meaning, that's your understanding. That's the limit of your life. Scripture talks very differently. Your limit of life is God's limit, which is, of course, limitless in mercy, in witness, right? In beauty, in love. So what you're doing is, and I'll just give you the last bit, and then we're going to, we are actually going to play pin the tail. I'll just tell you what we're going to do next week. I have a list of 187 organizations at St. John. So we're just going to figure out where they fit, but I'm not going to tell them to you in advance. You've got to figure them out, because I'm curious out of 187 how many of them you know. So, um, you need a bigger board. This is churching you. This is what the pastor does to you. And then churching the world goes out in mercy and witness, which are the two ways that generosity leak out into the world. So this is churching the world. So we church you and you church the world. Make sense? And now you've got the whole thing on one page, if you had a bigger page. On one page, you'd have the whole thing. You got something to say to people that you bump into, you actually kind of understand them. You don't have to be afraid of them. You can actually be kind to them. You have an answer for them, which is come and introduce them to this group of people. Bring them to Friday morning Bible study. Here's the thing, if they don't understand the liturgy, when the icon gets here, just have them come and sit and look at it for a couple of days. Often when people are really discombobulated, you know what I tell them to go do? Nobody does this. You know what I tell them to go do? Why don't you go work in it? When people are complaining like crazy, you know what I often say to them? Here's my prescription for you. Go work in a soup kitchen for six months. And then we'll come back and see if you have the same complaints. You know what? You won't have the same complaints. The reason people complain so much is they're so self-centered. The, the, uh, the way to uncomplain is to unoutside yourself. Right? Think about somebody beside yourself. Church the world. And you do that through mercy and witness. 
And you kind of need to do that together because if you get off on your own, Jesus sends people two by two for a reason because they need encouragement, they need love, they need to work, they need to be in community. You got it? So this is the template that we're working with. I mean, all the pastors, when we teach this to the vicars, this is, when we see the world, this is what we see. And if you can't understand us, it's probably because you have a different template. But this is the template we're working because this is the world that we live in. Frankly, it works pretty well. And it's all biblical stuff. And you should know that after all these years. I mean, you should be able to fill in the blanks together. You got it? So now the next thing to do is, you sh- now remember we started with find your spot and work your spot. So and we're going to do this next week. I'll draw this on one piece of paper. I want you to take the piece of paper. And what I want you to do is I want you to name the stuff at St. John that does this. What does mercy? What does witness? What does generosity? What helps the liturgy? Altar go, for example. You know? And I just, want you to, I just want you to put all the places down, and then basically, what, I think what the surprise for you will be, you'll be able to think of about 21 by yourself, but in the group, you'll be able to think of about 80 of them. And, you know, that's short of the 187 that's on the list of all the ones that ever were. And all I'm asking you to do in terms of being a Christian is just find one. Just find one spot. And here's the thing. If you find a spot and you don't like it, switch to another spot. But find a spot, okay? Just find a spot and work a spot. So people who came yesterday, I mean, there probably were 25, 30 people working in the building yesterday. That's a great spot for them. They're a great group. Friday morning women's bicycle, that's a great group. Joy group, it's a, gr- it's a great group. That's their spot. They wouldn't live without each other, you know? That you have a spot. You find your spot and work that particular spot. And then according to your station in life and your abilities, you might work more than one. You shouldn't work 12 because you'll never get anything done. But you should work one or two. And that should be tucked in within a normal life of being at the Eucharist and being generous and being merciful and accepting other people and trying to build community. You see how this works? And then suddenly you have a church. Suddenly you have a church actually that you can say to people, this, these are the words that should come out of your mouth. You should come to my church. Because 70% of the people join the church because why? Not because you put a dorky door hanging on their door or because you buy a Yellow Pages ad. 70% of the people come to the church because somebody says to them, a real person says... Yeah, come with me to my church. And if, as what has already happened once this morning, I just tell you, this is what you're not going to do in the church, and you get demerits at the new church if you do this. If you turn around to the kid, the mother behind you, and you say, your kid talks too much, you should take him out of the service. Actually, you're the one who gets to go out of the service, because you've been bad, 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 okay? You're bad, 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 because that doesn't build community. If somebody is screaming too much, don't worry, the pastors will come and chat with them. But sure, in fact, we might just put a host in their mouth and then we'll... You know, but that's not what you say to people. You don't say, your kid's being bad, take them out of the service. Pretty much everybody knows where the threshold is. And we actually have a couple lines of defenses for the next place of, you know, how to do that. One is there's going to be a big area in the back where you can just walk your kid. We're going to leave it empty. So if some kids just, they can be quiet, but they just need to walk. Go walk with your kid. The next line is, there's a reason the curved wall is glass, because you can stand behind and you can still see everything, but there'll be a microphone right there and you'll be able to hear it. You know, we don't really want to have a nursery, because we don't really want to have your kid out of the Eucharist. We want your kid in the Eucharist. So your kid's first, so there's this kid today at the 9 o'clock service who said, you know, we said whatever we say at the end, and before I can get finished, says, what's he say? Amen, he starts walking away. I'm like, perfect. He's two years old, he's just learned to walk, and what does he know? As soon as he says amen, he can walk back to his spot. I'm like, that's the reason you have the kid in the Eucharist. Now, he also climbed in the pulpit, 
But the thing is, is, I mean, one for two is not a major league average. Okay, so let them go. Because that doesn't bother us. Because that's community. That's beautiful. That's tolerant. That's merciful. And frankly, the kid will never forget that. Right? That's the kind of place you want to build. Got it? So that's where we're going. All right, thank you very much. Next week, we will play pin the tail on the theological donkey. All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.